Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right. Good evening. Good evening. Hey, can you guys give it up for our worship team? My goodness. Woo! Oh, man. Pastor Victor, Pastor Andrew. Wow, what a gift. We are so tremendously blessed. Man, I don't know about you guys, but that worship set just overwhelmed me with the goodness of God. Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open there tonight. Romans 8, this is arguably, but probably confidently, my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. I could preach 15 sermons on this passage and still have something to say. Uh, we, if many have, have kind of said, like, this is the moment where, like, Paul reaches, like, the culmination of his message to the church in Rome, and I'm really pumped to be preaching out of this text to you tonight. This is a chapter in the Bible where we pull a lot of verses from. You see a lot of verses from Romans chapter 8 on coffee mugs. You see lots of verses from Romans chapter 8 on, you know, like refrigerator magnets and people doing for cute Pinterest like Facebook and Instagram posts. But man, if you can see what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 8, man, it'll get you fired up. And that's my hope for you tonight. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read these eight verses, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to watch God do something awesome. Romans 8, 31. If you don't have your Bible, you can check out the screen. The Apostle Paul says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Woo, Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. Let that never get old, brothers and sisters, telling Jesus how much you love him. 
Oh, we love you. And we thank you that your presence is here and among us tonight. And in fact, it is your presence that is the transforming factor of our lives tonight. It's not necessarily something that's preached. It's not a song that is sang. No, it's your presence here in this room, Lord. And your word tells us that where two or more are gathered together, you are in fact in our midst. And so, Lord, we have met that minimum requirement tonight. So, Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you. Lord, we pray that you would come and speak to us through the words of Paul in your holy scriptures tonight. We pray that you would transform us to look more and more like the person of Jesus Christ tonight. Would you come and restore hope to us here this evening? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. And if you are with me tonight, can you say amen? Amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you don't feel confident about something? Ever a moment in your life where you do not feel confident about something? I remember my freshman year at Pine Creek High School. It was the most terrifying year of my life. I showed up to freshman orientation day with plaid shorts and a pink button down. I was 87 pounds with all my clothes on. And I remember walking into this school and seeing all of the freshman class and going, man, these people are huge. And then I saw the juniors and the seniors walk in on campus and it was like my knees buckling. I was terrified out of my mind. My voice was as squeaky as it could be. I had no confidence. And in fact, if I'm gonna be honest with you, I lacked confidence at my high school probably until like my senior year. I was like 95 pounds. Yeah, I gained weight, two pounds a year. It was awesome. Like, lacked confidence like nobody's business. And, and I'd walk through the hallways, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, like I got no idea who I am. You look at everybody around you and people seem so much more confident than you are. And then like, lo and behold, something hard happens in your life. Something hard and it's like everything in you is like worn. You have no idea what your identity is. You lack every form of, of sureness that you would have in your soul. You ever had a moment like that in your life? I'm willing to bet if you haven't up until this year, you probably have this year, right? 2020 has been a year that stripped us, of, stripped us of some confidence, has it? All of a sudden, it's like everything that we know to be true, everything that we know to be normal, everything that we know to be consistent, everything that we know to be reliable, overnight, March 13th, just like got stripped away from us. All of a sudden, going to school five days a week is no longer like a normal thing, unless you're like in elementary school at TCA, <laughs> right? Like, it's not a thing anymore. It's like people are doing hybrid. You're doing online. You're doing that thing. It's not normal to walk into a grocery store anymore without something over your face. It's not normal to walk into a restaurant anymore without something over your face. Our normal is gone like football season, soccer season. Like, what happened this year? What happened? We're watching the NFL now. Just, just for the NFL to make us feel confident to make us feel normal. Though there's like no fans there on TV, they give you the sound of fans. 
Like how insecure are we? Right? Like we, we like to lack confidence. And here's the thing. This is not new for humanity. Paul, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, humanity lacking confidence is a normal thing. If you want proof, look at Scripture. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to find people who lack their confidence. And so it's important when we begin to lack confidence, we begin to remind ourselves of things that are true. Things that are true. And I want to suggest to you here this evening, as we enter into Romans 8, Paul's objective in these last eight verses of Romans 8 is to take a good, hard look at the church in Rome and restore to them their confidence. He wants to remind them that the message of the gospel is not just one of salvation, but it's one of perseverance. And I need you to hear me tonight. The good news is not just that a God comes and saves you, but that God comes and he sustains you. He sustains you. If you've been around me for five years, that's how long I've been here on staff at New Life Church, this is one of like the most passionate topics that I can preach about. The sustaining work of the gospel. Your walk with Jesus, Christianity is not simply one decision of saying yes to God, but it's a lifelong obedience in the same direction. And you, me, anybody who genuinely follows Jesus is going to wake up tomorrow, five years from now, 10 years from now, by God's grace, 80 years from now, and we'll still be saying Jesus is Lord, not because we have the strength to, but because God sustains. Are you with me tonight? And so Paul, here in Romans 8, he asks five questions. Five questions in which he's saying, look, I want to ask you this and I want to give you the answer in order to restore your confidence. Five, five questions, and here they're laid out in verse 31, 32, 33, 34, and 35. The first one is, if God is for us, who can be against us? The second one, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Don't get scared of that word elect. It just means those who follow Jesus. Who is to condemn? In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If you can confidently answer these five questions, global pandemic, racial injustice, your freshman year in high school, your first college year out of high school, getting married, walking through getting fired from your job, having your first kid, seeing your kids go out to, it doesn't matter what season that you're gonna enter into that might strip you of your confidence. If you can know the answer to these five questions, hear me, you can be a confident follower of Jesus no matter the time, the day, the age, the circumstance. Are you with me? This is why this is such a good chapter in the Bible. So I want to go over these five answers really briefly and then kind of end on talking about God's love. The first one, if God is for us, who can be against us? I love this answer. No one can successfully be against us. If, you got, if you're taking notes, I want you to take notes. Write this down. 
No one can successfully be against us. I want you to notice here that he's not saying that no one can be against you. We talked about this last week. I got a news flash for you. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna have some enemies. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're going to have people oppose you. But I want you to realize that, that this is not some kind of hypothetical scenario that maybe if somebody's against you, maybe God will be for you. It's not hypothetical. It's a sure reality to Paul. If God is for you, who can be against you? I'm going back to my, my second point last week. When your battle was sin, we first know who we are in Christ, but second, we know who Christ is in us. What Paul's getting at here is he's saying, look, do you not only know who is in your corner at all times, but in fact, do you know who is fighting for you at all times? Not only who is in your corner at all times, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great I am, the bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life, the Messiah, Adonai, El Shaddai, El Roi, not just him, like, do you know who's fighting for you? Freshman, sophomore, junior year at Pine Creek. Pine Creek's a weird high school. It's a weird high school. I remember my freshman year, and I've told you this before, every week I would watch a set of juniors and seniors get into a fight. And like, you watch like, like, like you see it on like TV when like people would like get in fights at school and it's kind of funny and it's kind of cute. But like, when you're watching like two offensive linemen who are like 200 plus pounds start beating each other in the face, like it's not cute. It's disgusting. It's terrifying. It's ugly. And I remember every year, I'd watch kids get into fight, every year. And something really exceptional happened my senior year. My senior year, for whatever reason, it seemed to be that all the captains of all the sports teams at the school, the football team, the soccer team, the tennis team, the baseball team, all of us were leaders of the Bible study at the school. So senior year, it was like, there didn't seem to be any form of like ugly fights, anything going on. And you can say like, hey, it's because we just had a wise, not stupid class, which is so not true. But I really actually wanna attribute this to one primary reason. One primary reason is the captain of the football team, he's one of my best friends to this day, his name was Mark Luby. Senior, lineman, 200 plus pounds, and he's like 6'4". He's a big guy. And he's a teddy bear. <laughs> teddy bear. Like, I mean, just could make friends with anybody. Loved everybody, but man, this guy knew the Bible. He's the kind of guy who's memorized the entire book of Romans, the entire book of Colossians, the entire book of Philippians, the entire book of Galatians, the entire, like, he's that kind of guy. And I'll never forget, senior year, him and I became really close friends and I'd watch it. It's not like we didn't have people that didn't get along. We'd have moments where you'd have kids who thought they were all that in a bag of chips and you're fighting over a girl, you're fighting over something instead. And all of a sudden in the cafeteria, all of a sudden in one of the hallways or all of a sudden in one of the pods at Pine Creek, a fight would break out. Fight would break out, kids would start going out and every kid, nine out of 10, almost 10 out of 10, you'd circle around and all the kids would watch and we'd wait for a teacher to show up every time. 
But without fail, every time a fight would break out, it would not be more than three to five seconds. Captain of the football team, Mark Luby, he'd step in, he'd grab both parties, he'd pull them apart. Every time, every time. If he even listened to people starting to get hostile with the words, he'd step in, push them apart. And I'll never, I've watched that happen several times where he'd step in. A fight, a guy starts throwing haymakers. He'd step in, he'd push him apart. And all of a sudden, you have a moment where two parties got a decision to make. They're either going to still be really mad and try to swing at a guy five times their size who looks like a teddy bear but could destroy him. Or they're going to steam down, turn, and walk away. Either way. Mark stood his ground every time, every time. And I, I remember this one particular moment. It was after practice. I was captain of the tennis team. He was captain of the football team. We were after practice one day. Him and I were talking in the locker room, and you had two freshmen, two freshman football players come in. And, man, one of them was a hothead. He was just, like, looking for a reason to be mad. And me and my friend Mark were talking in the locker room. We're saying, and down the, down the aisleway, you can see these two guys sitting at their lockers talking and me and Mark, and we're talking like theology. We're always talking theology. And so we're like sitting there talking about like the, you know, like predestination and free will and all this wonderful stuff. It's really cool. And next thing you know, I turn over and I hear this kid go, what? Boom. And he just like knocks the kid straight in the nose and breaks his nose in a moment. I mean, I mean, the kid just dumbfounded, looking at, I mean, his hands full of blood, full of blood, his, his nose just completely mangled. I don't, that's not funny. And, and so the, the kid who's just upset, like, just turns and starts walking. And Mark and I are standing there. We turn and we look, and I will never forget this moment. <laughs> this kid thinking he's all that in a bag of chips, he comes walking by. And he makes it about three feet from Mark, and Mark just puts his hand on his shoulder. And he doesn't say a word. He just grabs him by the neck, something like you would see, like, a father do to his son. <laughs> grabs him by the neck <laughs> and he turns him back <laughs> towards the kid he just hit and I'll never forget this moment so I'm, I'm sitting and I'm running to go help the kid who's got blood in his hands and Mark doesn't say a word but his eyes say everything he looks at this kid with such authority and with his eyes tells him that's not who we are that's not who we are and I, I could see the confusion on Mark's face, but the absolute love and compassion towards this kid. And the kid doesn't say a thing, stops, turns around, walks back to the kid he just hit. And he grabbed him. He grabbed his hands with his blood and he said, are you okay? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will never forget this moment. I will never forget this moment. Here's the reason why. To me, that was such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to have life with Jesus. Do you understand who fights for you and me? Do you understand every time the accuser, the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, every time he raises up to do something against you, the first thing he's got to answer to is the God of the universe. Do you realize that? This is why Paul says, if God is for you, 
who can be against you? Who can be against you? The answer is no one can successfully be against you. You have the God of the universe in your corner. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the benefit of following Jesus. That we do not have just Jesus in our corner. We have Jesus fighting for us. Are you with me tonight? Question number two. Let's put it on, Troy. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let me tell you what this is not saying. That if you ask God for an Xbox, he's going to give you an Xbox. Let me tell you what this is not saying, that you're going to ask God for a girlfriend or for a boyfriend. He's going to give you a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I'm sorry. Work on your character and loving Jesus. Maybe it'll work out one day. Right? Yeah. Whoosh. Come on. Answer is that God will supply everything we need. Hear this. Even when all seems lost. And what follows this right here is verse 32. Where he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So I want you to get the picture that Paul's going after here. Talking to his Jewish listeners, he's going, hey, remember back in Genesis when we had this guy named Father Abraham who had many sons? And many sons of Father Abraham, you know, you know that guy? Before he, had any, before he had any children, God made him a promise. He said, look, I'm going to send you a son. And it's going to be through this son that the descendants of Israel is going to come. And so Abraham's waiting. He's getting old. He's getting old. And him and his wife Sarah finally have this son. And then God does the weirdest thing. He tells Abraham to take his son to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his son as an offering to the Lord. And so completely confused, Abraham goes, okay. I'm going to trust you. So he takes his son to Mount Moriah. He gets his son up on the mountain, on the altar, bound him down, has the knife, is about to sacrifice his son, and God intervenes and says, stop. I see that you believe me. I see that you trust me. And instead of having him sacrifice his son, the Lord provides a ram in the thicket right there. And so Abraham takes the ram, brings it to the altar, and sacrifices it. And at this moment, God is granted a name by Abraham, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. And we see the fulfillment of this in Jesus. Because though Abraham did not have to sacrifice his one and only son, we see a God who does in the New Testament. We see a God who sends his son in the person of Jesus Christ to die for you and for me. And so that when we are in any circumstance, any circumstance, your life is going well, your life is going bad. Your parents' uh, marriage is healthy, your parents are going through a divorce. You're feeling isolated and alone, or you're feeling surrounded with the community of faith. In any circumstance, you can know that Jesus is enough. He's enough. He has provided for us all things. In other words, you will never be in want when Jesus is enough for you. Are you with me? Questions two and four. We're going to combine them together. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect and who is to condemn? The answer, no one can condemn or make a charge stand against the bride of Christ in the courtroom of heaven, no matter who the accuser is. 
Verse 33 and 34, it says this. Can we put it up, Troy? Who shall bring a charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. So I, I went over this picture a couple weeks ago. What we're given here now is courtroom language. You're on trial before the God of the universe. On trial, you, me, everybody on planet earth at one point is going to stand before the God of the universe. And you know what's going to happen? Is there's going to be an accuser who's saying we are guilty. And you know what you and I are guilty of? Falling short of the glory of God. You, me, nobody in this room is perfect. We have replaced, as Paul says in Romans 1, worship of the creator with creation. We've fallen short. And so he's saying here, who's going to give a charge against God's elect, against those who follow Jesus? Who is going to condemn them? And when we stand before God at the end of all things and we're giving an account for our life and we know without a shadow of a doubt that we fell short and that when the accuser is saying they are guilty, <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah stands up and says, but wait a minute, I paid for that. I paid for that. So in other words, you can ask the question like this. Who's got the stones to bring a charge against Jesus Christ? Who's got the stones to condemn Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. I tell you who it will not be. <laughs> it won't be the accuser. It won't be the enemy. It won't be you or me. It won't be those who hate you right now. It won't be those who can't stand your faith right now. It won't be those who you see as an enemy right now. No. You're going to stand before the God of the universe at the end of all things if you follow Jesus. And you know what words you're going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my house. This is what it means to follow Jesus. There is no one who can condemn you. Romans 8.1, it says this. Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? It means if you follow Jesus, you get to live guilt-free lives. You get to live a life knowing that Jesus paid it all. When we see, sing these words, Christ, my living hope, when we sing these words, be strong, be not afraid, for the Lord is soon on his way, we're not singing about some hypothetical scenario. We're singing about a true reality of what we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you with me tonight? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who is he who's going to condemn the followers of Jesus? The answer is Brothers and sisters, let this give you confidence. Question number five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no person and no thing can separate us from the love that is found in our Lord Christ Jesus. No person and no thing. There's three things that I want to talk to you tonight about Christ's love. So, Troy, let's skip that next slide. Let's just go to these three things. Three things that I think if you can receive this as truth, 
I believe that your hope and your confidence can be restored tonight. Number one, Christ is loving you now. He's loving you now. And this, this is what I mean by this. If for whatever reason, my wife were to die tomorrow. I know, that's like so sad to think about. Babe, wherever you are, you're amazing. If my wife were to die tomorrow and I were to make the statement that her love will be with me for all of my life. And what I mean by that is her love will mean something to me all of my life, even though she's passed on, okay? I'm seeing and observing her love as a past love that I can still experience in the present, but it's a past love. Hear me, that's not what, what Paul is talking about right here. Christ loving you now. Let's go back to, is it verse, well, no, I don't have it up there. Verse 30, verse 33. Troy, you don't need to change it. I'm gonna, I'll just do it myself. Uh, verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Listen to this. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God now, and who is indeed interceding for us. You do not have a God who simply did something and walked away. Christians don't have that kind of God. We have a God who came, who died for us, who rose again, who ascended into heaven, and currently right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And day by day, he is interceding for those who follow him. And you know what his interceding is doing? It's preserving us and allowing us to say day by day by day, despite our circumstances, that Jesus is Lord. He's actively loving you now and he will actively love you tomorrow and he will actively love you 10 years from now. Are you with me? He's loving you now. Number two, this one's important. Christ's love for his church is unique. Now, I don't want you to mishear me tonight. God loves all of humanity. Every human being on earth, whether they are a believer in Jesus or not, is a Psalm 139 human being, meaning that they are a human being who was fearfully and wonderfully made in their mother's womb, made by God, okay? That is true of all human beings, but there is a special love that God has for his bride, a special love that God has for his bride. The best way I can illustrate it is this. I can say in confidence, I love every person in this room. I love every person in this room. I can also say in confidence that there's one particular woman in this room that I love very uniquely, that I do not love you the same way, praise God. <laughs> right? Where, where's my wife at? I just feel like I'm commenting on her so much. And where are you at, babe? Yeah, there you are. She's such a babe, okay? <laughs> like, there's, some, there's, there's something about my love for her. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, he's talking to husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what he's wanting to convey here is, look, for those who follow Jesus, there's a very unique kind of love for his bride. It's a sustaining love. It's a love that's going to allow you to wake up 30 years from now and still love Jesus. He's actively loving you now. The love for his church, the love for his people is unique. 
But the last one is that Christ's love enables his people to persevere. Let me ask you a question. We're, gonna, we're about to close here. You ever had a moment in your life where you expected something to be awesome and it wasn't? Yeah, Sam Shren's like, hubba, hubba. Yes. Like, ever had a moment in your life where you thought something was gonna be awesome and it wasn't? Let me give you two examples. A month ago, my wife and I, we went up to Keystone. We were staying in a condo. We had a little getaway. And we're having dinner and we're like, hey, you know what? We wanna watch a movie. So we pull up the best streaming service ever, Disney Plus. Yeah. And we're nerds, like my wife, like we, lo we love all of Pixar, we love Disney, we love the Avengers, we love Star Wars, we love it all. We love it all. We just watched Frozen 2 the other night, it's awesome, okay? We're sitting there at the condo, okay? Now here's the thing, we love Disney, I'm excited for any Disney movie that gets released, and at this particular point in time, they had released the live action of Mulan on Disney+. Plus. For premiere access, which means you pay an extra $30 for this movie. So we're sitting there, we're having dinner, and my wife's like, let's watch Mulan. And I, as the common sense husband, go, it's $30. Just wait a little while longer. She's like, no, we want to watch, let's watch Mulan. And I'm like, okay, I love the cartoon of Mulan. I'm like, Mr. I'm like a man. Yeah, I'm like all about it. And so I was like, I, so I can see it. I'm like, all right, you know what? It's Disney. They made the movie. It's going to be awesome. Has anybody seen the movie? Yeah. It's weak, okay? Like, I'm going to say, I like the most disappointing movie I've ever seen Disney make, okay? So literally between, the, yeah, I don't care if you disagree with me. I'll say it confidently. Like, first five minutes, First five minutes in this movie, I'm like, they are not staying true to the original. <laughs> not. And if you are a true Disney fan, it's about staying true to the original, okay? First five minutes. And I, I continue to hope that it's going to get better. And it just gets worse. <laughs> and it was so bad that 30 minutes into the movie, my wife looks at me and says, this was a waste of money. <laughs> and I said, I agree. Waste of our time. Like we expected it to be awesome and it fell flat. Second example is a little bit more serious. When I was in sixth grade, my dad went to Iraq. Okay? My father was in the Air Force 31 and a half years. And my father went to Iraq two days before I started going to school for the first time. I was homeschooled up until sixth grade. Yes, I was one of those kids. Love me still. Okay? Up until sixth grade. But two days before I went, I was going to school for the first time, my father went to Iraq and he was gone for seven months. Now, to give you some context, my father was like, he's like one of my best friends. I say that and they're like, my dad was the kind of dad, I was the third born, I was his first son, and I'm the only uh, shepherd, male shepherd, that's carrying on the shepherd name. There's no, other, there's no other shepherds that are guys who are getting married and having children. I don't have any children yet, maybe one day, praise the Lord. But he's one, of, he's one of my best friends. And what he would do growing up is he would invite me into everything that he loved doing so that I could do it with him. So my dad loved to play chess. From the time I was like four years old, he taught me to play chess. We played chess every night, every night. He promised me $20 the first time I beat him. It took me three years 
and I got $20. It was awesome. Play chess. My dad was a tennis player. Got me into tennis. Started playing tennis. I played tennis at the end of junior high, into high school, and even now, my, one of my favorite sports to play. My dad was originally a skier. He got me into skiing. Then I got into snowboarding. Then he got into snowboarding. Now we both love snowboarding. It's awesome. We snowboard together, even now. I, yeah, I love this getting claps. Yeah, ski season. I love it. Keystone opens next week, okay? But this was my relationship with my dad. But I was 11 years old. My voice is starting to crack. I'm terrified out of my mind. I get sent to school. My dad goes to Iraq. And there was this anticipation that when dad came home, life would be the best life ever once he got back. And when my dad returned home from Iraq, he wrestled with something that a lot of soldiers wrestle through, PTSD. You're living in a war zone for seven months, and it's like anything can trigger you and make you really upset and kind of put you in this fight or flight mode. And man, it put our family through the number for the rest of my junior high years and even into my high school years. It was hard. And I had this expectation that when my dad came home, everything would be sunshine and rainbows, but in fact, when he came home, everything was really difficult. And I need you to hear me. I think most people, when you get into college, and statistically speaking, it's when you're gonna get into college, most people are gonna walk away from their faith in Jesus. Sadly, statistically speaking, more than half of this room is gonna walk away from their faith in Jesus over the next three to six years. And you wanna know why, I think? I think primarily people walk away because they have false expectations of what it's supposed to look like to follow Jesus. When Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of God? I want you to hear the words he uses. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword, the sword can be equating to death. Are those the things that are gonna separate you from Jesus? I need you to hear me. Paul's not using hypothetical words. All of these things happened to him. All of these things happened to him. There's a reality that when you follow Jesus, and I told you this last week, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you something. And here's, here's the deal. If you can expect that following Jesus is going to be difficult, that following Jesus is going to lose you, friends, that following Jesus is going to mean you're going to have to walk in brokenness, that following Jesus means that you're going to have to give up things that the rest of your friends aren't giving up. You're setting a false expectation, and hear me, you're not gonna know who Jesus is in five years. (laughs) I can welcome the band back up here if you guys are ready to roll. But if... If you can have proper expectations and what it looks like to follow Jesus, all of a sudden you start to see, as Pastor Derwin Gray says, adversity as opportunity. And in fact, what ends up happening is you start to see adversity as no surprise. And if we're going to be honest, as we said at the beginning of the message, 2020 has been a year for adversity, has it not? A global pandemic, racial injustice, we got political segregation and an election going on. 
We had bombs and explosions take place in Beirut and Iran. We have had hurricanes take place in Florida and Louisiana. We have had record wildfires take place in Colorado and California. We know that life is not all sunshine and rainbows, right? So hear me. <laughs> if you want to wake up 30 years from now and say you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta hear and know, but most importantly, believe the truth. Can you stand with me? You gotta know the truth. And the truth is <laughs> that Jesus has fought for you. Jesus has died for you. He has risen from the dead for you. And if you put your faith and your trust in him, he has welcomed you into new life with him. New life with him. So what this means for you is that if God is for you, who can be against you? No one. No one. It means that you are no longer responsible for worrying about having anything or being provided anything in your life. God's given it to you in Jesus. It means that there is no charge that the enemy can bring against you. There is no condemnation for you because Christ took it all on the cross. And hear me, it means that nothing, no person and no thing can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus. God does not just save you. He does not just save me. He does not just save his people. He sustains his people. Can you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you. Welcome your presence here with us tonight. And Lord, if we can be honest, we can, many of us can find ourselves at a moment in time where our confidence is lacking, our hope is lacking. We need truth, we need consistency, we need one who is constant. And if we're honest, we look at the world, we need a savior. And knowing that we would find ourselves here in 2020, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to have mercy on us and to forgive us. So Lord, as we come before you here tonight, we welcome your presence. I know we usually say this at the beginning of service, but can you say it with me now? Three simple words. Can you say, Holy Spirit, come? And one more time, Holy Spirit, come. What you're doing when you're saying those three words is you're saying, Lord, I'm responding to you being able to transform my life. Holy Spirit, we need your presence now more than ever. So would you come and would you speak to us? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. 
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and remind yourself of these questions as the band leads us in worship. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who is the God who gives you all things in Jesus Christ? Where are those who will bring a charge against God's elect? Where are those who will condemn you? And who shall separate you from the love that you have in Christ Jesus? Let him restore your confidence. Let him restore your hope. <laughs> Come on, give him your attention. Let's fix our eyes as we worship just for a couple minutes. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.